Hello, what's this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxson, and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we have Jane Sweeten from the Sweeten and Salford podcast. How's your week been, mate? Yeah, terrific, Rob. There's so much to talk about, isn't there? I can't wait to break it down with you and Paul over the next hour. Yeah, just mentioned there, Paul Whiteside from The Devil the Detail is in the house tonight. Paul, looking forward to talking, talking all things sport in Salford. Yeah, certainly I'm, Rob. Yeah, it's been a busy week, hasn't it? I'm sure we'll be uh, dissecting over the next hour or so, mate. Looking forward to it. Yeah, what we'll do, we'll start with a big interview, uh, which was done by Paul. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I spoke to uh, Sam Luckley, one of Salford's new signings. Probably a signing that's gone under radar a little. You know, he's come from, from Newcastle Thunder and probably not one of the, uh, the, the names that most people are recognised, but the, the very interesting guy, Geordie Lad. Uh, very good to speak to and uh, probably one of my favourite interviews I've done you know really really friendly guy and uh, he's he's really looking forward to getting playing and comes with um, some big raps as well talking to Paul King in the week he's very very excited um, so he, we're looking forward to seeing what he can do on the pitch yeah and there's the interview now uh, with Sam Luckley Right, I'm delighted to say for Devil in the Detail podcast and Salford City Radio, I've been joined by another one of Salford's uh, new signings for the 2021 season, Sam Luckley. Good evening, Sam. Thank you very much for taking time out to talk to us. No problem, mate. How are you? I'm very good, mate. I'm very good. I'm very good. Uh, yeah, so a bit of background on yourself. You're, you're a Geordie lad, Newcastle Thunder you, you played for. Um, how did you move to Salford come about? You was going to go to, was it Ottawa Aces? That fell through and you, you now joined <coughs> Salford. Aye, well, um, like you said, I was at Thunder, um, I was at university um, at Northumbria up there as well, and uh, I'd graduated from my Masters, and um, was just looking to uh, really kick on with my rugby career, you know, and, and make a, a real go at it, so I signed for Hot uh, Aces, which was uh, the new club, they were going to join League One, and then hopefully get promoted, and then within a couple of years get uh, a Super League, so that was the plan, um, obviously with all COVID and stuff, um, They've got deferred till 2022, I think it is. Um, so I was a free agent. Um, and I was just speaking with um, my, my manager, my agent, Graham, at the time, just, you know, what, what's the plan and uh, reassess my goals and, you know, how, how do I get into Super League? Um, and then just out, out the blue, um, you know, Salford give us a lifeline and said they were interested. And I spoke with uh, Ian Blees. Uh, on the Zoom call and stuff, and just the way he spoke about the fans, um, the club, the staff, the players, and their ambitions, and it, uh, you know, really hit home, and it was just something I wanted to be a part of, you know. So, uh, got on my car and came straight to the Salford. <laughs> nice one. So, so your time at Newcastle Thunder, what uh, what's it been like there? How many years were you there for? Have you had a bit of experience um, playing I'd there? Say four or five. Um, I so my whole time at university, I was also playing for Thunder as well. So yeah, about uh, four or five years. Because Newcastle Thunder have sort of come up on the rails, haven't they? The last couple of years, they've got promoted. I think they're in the championship this time, so they've uh, they've done some good work up there. And what's rugby league like up there now, up Newcastle? Is it is it starting to spread? Obviously, we've had the magic weekend there, so it's a big football place. But is rugby league taking off a bit as well? Yeah, well, I've seen I've seen the popularity rise over the years. Um, I mean, stuff like the magic weekend is great for the city. You know, like, even non-rugby league fans like I've got mates who you know who don't really know much about rugby league but they still get tickets just because of the the love of the game you know the, the fast pace the intensity the contacts and stuff and you know you can have a good beer it's a great it's a great uh, 
you know, place to have the stadium right next to everything, really. Um, and it just, you know, gets more attraction to the game and stuff, and then people leave there and they want to get involved in the game. And then that's where, you know, Thunder capitalise on that. And they've got um, the community games is growing massively. There's plenty of young kids getting involved in the game. So they're doing some real good stuff up there uh, behind the scenes, Thunder. But like you said, um, we lost out on the final last year, but with the whole Toronto issue, um, they've got promoted into championship, which is... Uh, a blessing in disguise, I guess, for them, and I really hope they uh, they kick on and, and take this opportunity, you know, because it would be great to have a, you know, a Geordie club in Super League. It would be outstanding. Yeah, before we go back and look at how you got into the sport, we'll just have a little chat about like this this season coming up. What can the Salford supporters expect of you? What position? What position do you play? And uh, what's your sort of style? How, how how do you hold yourself about? Ooh, you're asking us to blow over your trumpet, yeah? No, <laughs> um, blow away. <laughs> Um, well, I just say I think my effort, my, my work rate uh, shines through. Well, I hope it does anyway with the fans. You know, I, I, uh, I work, I work really hard on the pitch and stuff. Um, work for my teammates, and I'll do anything for them. Uh, I like to think uh, carry the ball quite hard. I've got a good offload. Um, and yeah, you know, I think I just bring a bit of intensity. You know, so what's your preferred uh, position, Sam? Agree. What's your preferred position? Is it prop forward? You play. Yeah, I played prop or loose forward. I'm not too, uh, I'm not too bothered which as long as, long as I'm on the. I'd play centre if they just put me on the field. Exactly. Oh, that sounds good to me. So just rewinding <laughs> back then to the to the start of your rugby league. What what? How did you get involved in it? I mean, Newcastle it, it always to me comes across as a, as a football city. Or it did do until the Magic Weekend started going up there. I know Gateshead Thunder had a team a few years ago, but it's a massive football place. Really yeah. partisan football supporters who, I mean, they, they, they do anything. The Newcastle supporters they don't seem to have a lot of, lot of success, but they really get behind the club. So how did you get into to rugby league? Uh, I was a bit of a late starter, really. I, I, I started playing rugby union first. Um, well, I was playing football when I was a young kid, and that if, if you don't play football in your castle, you're you know you're a bit of an outcast. Um, but I played that, and then just found myself playing rugby union. Um, and I was about fifteen, sixteen, and I was at high school. And one of the um, science technicians loved loved rugby league and um, had a connection with like the community game or something. And he just sent us up to. Um, Go and trial for the Northeast Regional Academy. It was called at the time, um, and there was the Northeast Cumbria and Midlands. And it was just like the best kids in the region for you know play rugby league, and they would just play against each other. So um, I got into that, and then I ended up playing for the community club Walls End Eagles, and then I just fell in love with the game from there. Oh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Brilliant story, mate. Well, for for a lot of Salford supporters, you probably don't know a lot about Newcastle. We, we probably only know a few of the pubs around the ground in St James's Park. There's a lot more to it than that, isn't there? I mean, you just saying to me before we started the recording there. Where, whereabouts is, are you from in Newcastle? I mean, I've got some family up there as well. So, um, so whereabouts are you from in Newcastle? So, uh, I'm from North Shields, which is um, quite near the coast in Tymouth, which is a bit of a hot spot um, for. You know, I think Whitley Bay used to be booming. I think in the nineties as well, a lot of people used to go there for bank holidays and, and all that sort of stuff. But uh, that's not too far from Tymouth. Um, it's like you know, there's some lovely bars, pubs, and food food spots there. So I it's uh, turning into quite the place at the minute. Yeah, my wife's uh, sister lives in a place called Benton, 
and yeah. uh, it's, it, that's not far from Tynemouth. And I, when I first went to, to Newcastle, when I first went, met my wife, she took us up there and uh, we went to stay with them for a weekend. And I always thought, Newcastle, God, it's dead rough. It'll be like Biker Grove. And I was sort of dreading going there. Biker Grove. <laughs> it, was a, it was a real eye-opener when I got there, how friendly the people are. And, um, you know, it's, it's a cracking night out as well, isn't it? So uh, it's a re- really do see a, a really nice uh, breed of people up there in Newcastle. Yeah, I think everyone's just really warm and friendly. I think you, you know you could you could stop a, a person from Newcastle in the street, and you know you just get chatting. You know you could be really good friends with them. It's, it's just one of them. You can talk to them about anything, and uh, very welcoming and stuff. And uh, I think a lot of the teams uh, who go, well, a lot of the fans and stuff as well who go up for Magic Weekend always, you know, have had great reviews and stuff, saying, "Oh, Newcastle's a great place. We'll definitely be back." So it's good that people say that, you know, about where I'm from and it's uh, it makes you feel you know gives you a sense of pride yeah that's one thing I noticed the first time I went to the, to the Magic Weekend at Newcastle and uh we were speaking to some of the stewards, you know, when I was coming into the ground, and people were showing you where to go, and and, and this, you know, this, that, and the other, and the, the the friendliness and how helpful they were, and everyone had a smile on their face, and you know, you go down to London sometimes, and at Wembley, everyone seems to be like, miserable and just don't really want to speak to you and that. But no, that's one of the first, very a very warm sort of place. But being from Newcastle, can't um, not ask you about you know the, the culture in Newcastle, obviously the football team. I'm a massive um, Alfreda same pet fan. I mean, you being a Geordie, you've you've got to be in, into that program. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a bit past my time. I was born in '95, um, but obviously, my mum and dad, and my uncle Mick, me, you know, my grandma and that, they all uh, love the old TV shows, and um, they got us a box set for Christmas one year, and then I watched a couple of episodes, and I was just hooked. Um, yeah, like absolutely love uh, Jimmy Neal and that who plays all these outstanding. Um, but yeah, what what a great show! <laughs> I must admit, Oz is probably my favourite. To be honest with you, how have you yeah. found uh, uh, Salford? Have you moved over to Salford? Obviously, you're not travelling there. You're not from Newcastle. You have moved down here, have you? Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm living in Halifax at the minute, actually, because um, I was. Um, I've got a mate from university who lives down here, um, and he he's got a spare room in his flat. Um, so I'm currently living in Brighouse in Halifax. Um, okay. So I, but I've been down Huddersfield way before when I when I played at Giants for the year, and I kind of know my way around a little bit. Um, but I, I want to, uh, I just want things to open up again, you know, so I can go around Manchester and Salford and just, you know, have a pint or something and just have a look, have a look around, you know, do a bit of exploring. Yeah, it's a very strange sort of world we're living in at the moment. I, I mean, I've been down a few times to the to the, the city centre, and it's like a ghost town. There's nobody about at all when you think about what it's normally like. So, how have you adapted to to sort of the training at Salford? Is it is it totally different now? Obviously, you're a full time full time professional now, aren't you? So, do you enjoy that more than than doing a job or being a, being a student or whatever? Is it is the full time atmosphere? Is it totally different? Um, yeah, well, yeah, it is, it is different, I guess. I mean, rugby's rugby at the end of the day, and it, you know, Thunder was only part time, so there is a change of like intensity, and you can get a lot more done when you're full time and stuff. There's a lot more areas you can focus on and work on and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I like I love the process really. I love coming in and grafting, going to the gym, doing some fitness, getting in with the boys and stuff. So um, I'm really just enjoying going, like just going into work. Um, and like I said, there's some high quality players there, there's some great fellas. So I'm just trying to um, be a sponge, you know, and soak up all the information I can because a lot there's a wealth of experience in that squad. 
even with the coaching staff as well. And then, you know, you look like say Kev Brown, Lee Mossop and stuff like that. So I'm just trying to um, take what I can, you know, and trying to prove your own game. Do you know any of the players from, from, from before? Obviously, you're a Scottish international as well. So do you know any of the players from the international scene when you come to Scotland? I only knew um, Danny Eddy because he plays in Scotland as well. So I knew one one lad going in. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit tough. You know, well, it's like your first day at school, isn't it? Really meeting the... Uh, all the new kids and stuff, and, and try, you know, get to know everyone. But uh, it was an easy transition. Everyone's up like warm and welcoming and stuff, and uh, everyone's gelling well. How have you found working for, for Richard Marshall? Obviously, he's a new Salford coach. It's a new regime at Salford. We've not played a match under Richard yet, but he comes, you know, under real high regard. You know, having spent time at St. Ellen's and Warrington, he's worked with some really good guys. Is his knowledge starting to rub off on you now? How are you finding him? Yeah, he's a. Uh, well, first and foremost, you know he's he's a very good bloke. Like his doors always open. If you want to go for a chat, if you've got any issues, you know he's he's always there for you. Um, you know, if you just look at his CV, his coaching CV. You know, it's, it's not like you said, St Helens, Warrington. Um, he's got that experience, um, and that that shows with his coaching. You know, he, he's got um, he's very meticulous with his coaching. He knows what he wants. Do you know what I mean? He'll he'll keep pushing you to get there, and he's always gonna. Ask you questions on why you're doing things, so you know it's you know, so you know what you're doing. You know what I mean? So you know your role. So um, yeah, he, he's really good at the minute, and I think uh, the boys are the boys are enjoying it. What's the training regime like at the moment? Is it obviously it's tough with uh, with this COVID? I think the last time I spoke to Richard Marshall, he kept saying he had to keep shouting at you all to get your masks on and things like that. But uh, yeah, how is it? Is it is it <laughs> you becoming forgetting? You know, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just what it, like, you're not used to doing it. Um, and you just. Because we're outside in the space and stuff, and you'd think it'd be all right to have your mask off and that, but no, no, get it on just in case. Um, but yeah, like like you said, it's uh, it's just one of those things. Is that, how are you getting on now? Is it, is it like full steam ahead now? Obviously, the Super League season's not far away. Um, do you think you'll be playing any friendly games? Has that been mentioned yet, or is it just like real, real tough training at the moment? It's just real tough training at the moment. Um, I think there's a there's a Wigan game scheduled, but. Uh, I'm not 100% sure about what's happening with that yet. We're just focusing on training and taking it day by day. You know, we'll let the coaching staff you know, sort that out and let us know what the crack is. Um, but yeah, like you said, training's intense. It's tough. Um, obviously, it'll start winding down a little bit when we get close at the games. You want to be fresh and, and ready to go. Um, but yeah, thing, things are positive. Everything's coming together nicely. Becoming a full-time pro, is it a big shock to your body? Because you've obviously been part time, do you feel like, wow, I feel like super fit now at the moment? Is it totally different, or are you one of these guys that a lot of players now tend to go to the gym in the spare time anyway, don't they, and then keep themselves fit? Yeah, I, I, I love the gym myself anyway, so um, going to the gym and stuff was just my usual routine. And but at the start, it was it was a bit different, obviously, because my last game was in March, so. Um, I hadn't really done. I hadn't really done much training. Like obviously, I would go for runs and, and go to the gym when they were open. Obviously, due to COVID and stuff. But um, and then you come straight into a full time environment. Your body is sore. My God, the first couple of months, man, I was uh, I was in bits. But um, my body's adapted now. You know, after you push yourself in it every day, um, and I'm just starting to reap the benefits now. I do feel fit and strong, and um, yeah, really good. I've put that work in early. So your hopes for twenty twenty one, then you like you you must be before we talk about your individual hopes, you must be excited about <clears throat> excuse me playing in Super League, you know going to some of these these stadiums like Wigan, St Helens, uh, Leeds, and that is is it going to be a dream come true for you that? 
yeah, like you said, goals. That's what I just want to play. I just want you know. I just want to get that game, that first game under my belt, get my debut done. Um, but that's you know, that's just something to look forward to. If I keep working hard enough, I'll I'll get given the opportunity. Um, and you know, the recent success of Salford in the Challenge Cup final and the Grand Final before that, it's um, exciting times for the club. And you know, I want to be part of that. And I think as a team. Um, the end goal is obviously silverware, um, and I think we are making the right steps in training to hopefully pay off in the back end of the year. Definitely, definitely. Uh, how do you spend your your spare time then outside rugby league? You know, it's, it's probably an hard question to ask people. I've asked, I've asked a few players this, and everyone says, "Well, nothing really," because we're locked down. But what yeah. what do you normally <laughs> go up to then? Are you a coffee drinker? Because every rugby league player I tend to speak to, everyone's like into Costa Coffee and and this that. <laughs> they all seem to drink loads of coffee. Rugby players these days. Yeah, I, I, well, I do like a coffee. Um, if COVID wasn't around, I think I'd be playing golf. Um, I do like a bit of golf. Um, I'd walk my dogs when I'm back home, um, meet up with my mates and stuff, quite a sociable guy. Like going out, I'm a bit of a foodie actually, so I do like going out to eat as well. I like uh, trying different cuisines and stuff. Um, what else do I like doing? That's a hard, it's a hard question when you put on the spotlight. <laughs> it is. I suppose it's hard at the moment because no one's doing anything now. Everybody's locked down, and, and I mean, me and my wife have been out for a, a drive in the car at weekends with the kids, and just got a takeaway coffee from somewhere. That's about as exciting yeah, as yeah. it gets at the moment. And uh, so little things in it, yeah. You want to do anything you can. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But uh, but no, it's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you, Sam. And um, can't wait to see you make your debut. Obviously, the season's just round the corner now. And uh, on behalf of the Salford supporters, Devon the Detail, Salford Radio, thanks again for taking the time out, mate. And uh, hopefully we can get to speak to you again, you know, during the season. Yeah, thanks, mate. I really appreciate, really, really appreciate it, mate. Thanks for having us on, and uh, hopefully we'll speak soon. Yeah. Cheers, buddy. No worries, mate. So that was Paul's interview with uh, Sam Luckley. Great interview, Paul, and a great player. Sam Luckley's looking like he's going to be a, a big uh, player for Salford. Yeah, I think he'll take his opportunity as soon as he gets it in the first team, Rob. And Richard Marshall looks like the, the sort of coach who's going to give young players a chance. And, you know, Sam's, what, 25 or so now. So he's, uh, you know, coming towards the peak of his career. If he can, you know, get started at Salford, get, a, get a, a foothold in the first team, I'm sure he's going to get his opportunity at, at some point in the season. And hope he takes it with both hands. Yeah, talking about opportunity, uh, Paul, the fixtures have been released uh, for the Salford Devils uh, for this season, the 2021 season. Uh, what games are sticking out for you uh, on the old uh, fixture list? Uh, well, all of them, to be honest with you, mate. I think, you know, most people will be looking forward, and I am in particular the one where the crowds can go back, you know, hopefully that's in May. Um, you always look forward to the Leeds, St. Helens, Wigan games, don't you? Particularly the Wigan games at home and the, the big teams and that. I think Huddersfield as well. You'd have to look forward to that one, wouldn't you? With, the, with Ian Watson going there and Luke Yates going there. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to just getting back in the stadium, Robin, and cheering the team. It's been a long time since we've been to a match. You know, the close season seems to have really dragged on. So, very excited for the season. Yeah, I think the, the the thing you've got to do, Paul, is you've got to sort of string wins together, haven't you? That's the success. That's how you, you manage to secure... Playoff, you know, playoff spaces, and and I think Salford have the ability to do that. Yeah, certainly do. Certainly, I think you know, looking at the squads and analysing their squads, and I know pundits have made predictions this week, and we've not favoured in, in poster than if most of them have had us down in the bottom, but. I, th- I think you've got to look at Salford's squad and as a support, I think you've got to be very excited by that squad. I think it's one of the best squads we've had for a while. You know, 30 players in there, as we mentioned on the on the podcast in the week. You know, the, there's some good players in that side. And, 
you know, it's going to be about consistency, and, and, and we've got a good coach in Richard Marshall as well. So I think there's an awful lot to be positive about. I can't wait. Yeah, the uh, the Magic Weekend is scheduled for September, and they've also put a rivals round. Um, I think it's in August against Lee. It's going to be exciting, that Paul. Yeah, shade of 2003. We were massive rivals with them going for promotion, wasn't we? And, uh, you know, it reminds me a bit of that. So, yeah, look forward to that. I always enjoy playing against Lee Centurion. I've got a few friends who are Lee supporters and particularly always a great atmosphere at their ground. And we've, I don't think we've actually won a competitive fixture there away at Lee's, Lee Sports Village. So, yeah, really excited for that. Really excited for the Magic Weekend at Newcastle as well. Talking to Sam Luckley about, you know, going there on the interview and a uh, great place to go, great city. And uh, really, really exciting to get back there in uh, in September. It's going to be very, very exciting. Obviously, we'll be covering it all on the uh, on the Sports Zone on Solve City Radio. And after last season's uh, success, uh, it's going to be uh, another exciting season uh, to watch and to cover. Yeah, it certainly is. I think when you mentioned success, you know, getting to the Challenge Cup final, I'm sure Richard Marshall's going to going to target the cup competition and, and particularly the Challenge Cup. You know, Super is going to be tough, isn't it? But you know, that Challenge Cup, we we didn't win it last season, so. Let's see if we can go one better and get down to Wembley and, and take a crowd with us and win it. I think you've always got to, got to target the cup and, and do well in that competition. But we're looking for, to do well in the Super League as well. You know, last couple of seasons, we've we've consolidated pretty well, haven't we? And, uh, you know, last season we had four points deducted, didn't we? In a bit of a false position, really, but a tremendous season in 2019. Average season in 2018, but a really good season the year before that in 17. So we've, we've, done, we've done well over the last couple of seasons. We're looking to emulate that success. Yep, so that's all the Rugby League chat uh, for tonight. Next up is uh, Boxing uh, with James and Paul. Well, Paul, a couple of weeks back, we covered the story involving Tyson Fury looking in terrible condition while storming into the sea at Lancaster Beach. This week, we've seen more worrying news in interviews where he said he'll fight two times this year whether Anthony Joshua was involved or not. He's been saying things like inactivity is his worst nightmare and he's not going to be prepared correctly for the Joshua bout. Are we said to be worried about Tyson Fury at the moment? Where do you think his mental health is? What do you think is going on, Paul? Well, it's a strange one, really, isn't it? I mean, you think he'd be focused now and in preparing for that for that fight, the one that everybody's talking about, the one that's always on the the television channels and in the in the newspapers. You think he'd be focusing on that now and be begging his promoter promotion teams and management teams to get that fight on? So. I don't know, he sounds to me like he's talking himself out of the fight, you know, some of the time. So you do sort of worry about his mental state sometimes when you, you, you do see him and you hear from him, but that's up to his, his sort of team around him to, to sort of bring him back down and, and, and try and help him out, really, because, uh, you know, we, we all want to see this fight, but you, you don't want to see a guy uh, go mentally uh, sort of off the rails as well. So uh, I think we've got the, the mental side of things, but it's, it's, it's a tough question. It really is. 2021 looks like it's going to be the year for these big fights, but from the, what we've just seen in the last week or so, perhaps perhaps not. What condition should we expect Tyson Fury to be in if this Anthony Joshua fight does happen later on in the year? I think he needs to be in good condition. I think he needs to be in, in, in mint condition, really, to, to fight Anthony Joshua. And I know Anthony Joshua has his critics and, and things like that, and but he's, he's a good fighter. He's, he's, he's got a good record and he's beat some good champions as well. So he, he's no mug, is he? And uh, Anthony Joshua's found, since the Andy Ruiz fight for me, Anthony Joshua's found a different style. You know, that second fight there, he he he, he, he said to, openly said to the press that if I come in with the same, this, the, the same way I fought him the first time, I'm going to get the same result. And he went away and he changed his style. And I think he's he's looked different to me. He doesn't look as heavy when he comes in. He looks more agile to me. He still hits hard, though. He still hits tremendously hard. So if Tyson Fury wants to beat 
Anthony Joshua, he, he's got to be at the peak of his form, really, for me, peak of his powers. And, you know, any, anything less than that and any lapse in concentration or or lapse in his training camp, he's, he's going to get badly, badly hurt. Sticking with the heavyweight theme, we're going to move out to New Zealand, Auckland specifically, for Joseph Parker versus Junior Fight in what was deemed to be the biggest fight in New Zealand history. It was a very close one, Paul, between Parker and Farr. I personally leant towards Farr, thought he did the slightly cleaner work, and I thought Parker just looked looked confused through most of the night. He looked frustrated, and I just thought Farr outboxed him. But when the scorecards were read, I think we're all a bit taken aback by the fact that they read 119 to 109 to Joseph Parker, that being 11 rounds to one. I mean, at this stage, scoring, it seems almost past the point of repair. I mean, is there any country in the world now that has good scoring or is this just a global problem in every single country? I think it's a global problem, James. I think it's been a problem that's been there for a, for a number of years now. Um, again, I'm with you on that one. I thought I thought Far had that fight. He, he close. I thought maybe give him a couple of rounds, maybe two or three rounds above Parker, but... Some of the, the judges there, you know, giving Parker every single round, it, it's, it's a farce and, and you wonder where it's coming from. It's difficult to say, it's difficult to comment on. You, you don't really know what's going on or who's influencing these judges and, you know, without being dead controversial, you, you probably have to just keep a lid on it. But it, it's terrible and you go into scorecards now and and even when you think, of, yeah, fighters, he's won that. He's definitely won that. You sat there doubting yourself, and it really isn't that. If it goes to a scorecard now, no matter where it is around the world, it's in the hands of the gods, really. How long is it going to be before fans just switch off from the sport? Because it's so demoralising. This seems to be happening near enough every single week now. I think you're talking. If fans are going to switch off to it, you then start talking about big fights. If this, sometimes those sort of fights. If, if for what the boxing purists watch, a lot of people might not watch the Joseph Parker, that Joseph Parker fight with it being a different country. But if you start, you know, the big box office fights, we start seeing some of these going do lally on the on the on the cards, and um, that's going to start turning people off. Then it's when it becomes in the mainstream, and we start seeing things like that. So, but we've 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 had that before. We've had that on a number of occasions, haven't we? And it just is so frustrating, so frustrating for the fighters as well. And you just wonder wonder why. Why are these fights are being scored? Like, I know we spoke before about different judges can have different opinions. Different judges can see things differently. They can have a different style. They can see a different like a work rate. But really, when you're scoring a fight, to me, you should you should score it like they score in the Olympics. You know, you know, a clean punch is a point, and you know, you top all them at the end of the round. The cleaner work, the better work, the better punching, the punch variety. You know, the shots landed. That should be how it's scored. And for me. I don't know what we're watching sometimes. And it becomes difficult now because Junior Farr probably won that fight. And off the back of the fact that he didn't get the decision, his stock hasn't rose particularly. I mean, where's he going to go from here? Because after that one, he's not necessarily the most entertaining fighter in the world, but he's going to be a difficult night's work for absolutely anybody. And he's probably a top 10 fighter in the world, but nobody's going to want to find him. So how's he going to find an opponent going forward? It's a difficult one for him that because he'd had a really clean record before that it was unbeaten fights and he, you know coming up on the rails a bit really. I mean he's not a household name in this country, but from what I saw him, they're a real tough customer, very very tough tough chin and decent operator. But now he's got a, a blot on his copybook. He's lost that fight. He, he's going to drop down the rankings and he's not really going to be a big draw for anybody, is he? I mean if you, you're talking at the, the top level and, and people going for, for world titles and things like that. 
he's not really going to rank up there as someone who you're going to want to fight, is he? So it's difficult for him. He's got to rebuild now, hasn't he? And uh, and come back. But he's got the talent there. I think you know, if I was his, his his team, you'd be going straight after a rematch with Joseph Parker. Joseph Parker seems to be looking towards a fight now with Derek Chisora. And I've got a couple of questions for you, Paul. But firstly, is this one that you want to see? Do you want to see this fight rearranged? Uh, I'd like to see the, the junior Farah and Joseph Parker fight again. I think mm. Farah deserves his chance. And I think anybody like that who's who's beaten controversially on a, on a scorecard, you'd expect them. You'd expect Joseph Parker to to have that about him that, you know, he'd give Farah another chance. I mean, sometimes, you know, boxers don't, but I think any boxer of a decent salt would say, yeah, I looked myself in the mirror and I, I didn't win that fight. I didn't do enough in that fight or I didn't do enough in that fight to, to you know, to prove to myself. So I'll take that, that, that fight again. So I'd like to see that going forward to the Chisora fight with um, with Parker. That's that's one I'd like to see. I think that'd be a cracking fight. The two styles of the, of the two men, I think, would gel incredibly well. Um, you know, Chisori likes to get inside, doesn't he? He likes to swing and get close. And he's such a firecracker to watch. So that would be a fantastic fight, I think. Joseph Parker now. I mean, he's arguably in big fights on a free fight skid. And I know we had those free fights after the white fight to get himself back in. But they weren't big fights. They were pretty much gimmick fights for him. So really, in the last three big ones he's had, I mean, he lost to Joshua. He lost to White. Most people here think he's lost to Junior Far. Does he have to change something? Does he need a new trainer? Does he need to be based somewhere different? What does he have to change? Because he can't continue to perform like this. I can remember a good number of years ago, maybe five, six years ago, being in, in the gym in Rochdale, and one of the uh, guys I used to train with mentioned Joseph Parker to me, and this was before he became sort of a household sort of boxing name, and he was saying how good he was, and I remember him saying to me, this is going to be the guy, this is going to be the guy, he'll beat Tyson Fury, he'll beat Anthony Joshua. And I watched some videos of him and some clips of him and I thought, yeah, you could be right. He looks a really, really good fighter, but I don't know what's happened since the defeat to Joshua and since the the other couple of defeats he's had as well. Um, he's, he's, I don't know, he seems to have just dropped off the radar since that Dillian White defeat. Anyway, that seemed to knock all the stuffing out of him, all the confidence out of him. I know he's come back and fought three or four people since then, but they've not been the same. They've not been the same level as White and, 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 and Anthony Joshua, have they? So he's had some good wins on his on his record. You know, he's beat Andy Ruiz Jr. Uh, one or two other fights stick out there as well. The, the win over Huey Fury, I thought he laboured to a bit, really. But I think he just needs a big fight and a big win and a big confidence boost for me, really. But as you say about changing training, I'm not too sure, really. But I think he does need to change something. I think he just needs to change something in his style now because, he, he, you know, he's, there's a, a chance he could really slip down the order now because his, his reputation is, is being damaged. And on the undercard, there was a cracking co-main event. Unbeaten Hemi Ohio, 16-0, a prospect for the future, defeated Julius Long via a stunning left-hook knockout. Long himself stands at seven foot one, And the question I've got for you, Paul, is how tall is too tall for a heavyweight? Um, How tall is that guy that... David A fought that time was it Nikola Valuev? I think uh, he was a he was a big fella wasn't he about seven foot or something but um, I, I don't know how tall too tall is really to be honest I mean it must be difficult fighting a guy that size it, it really must be difficult depending on what size you are but I uh, know seven foot one is is amazing he's amazingly tall really and then let's go over to America now and the biggest star in the sport was back in action and he defeated Anvi Yildirim inside three rounds. The Turkish robot was no match for Canelo. And 
was this a bit of a gimmick just to get Canelo back out and active and to you know, get past that WBC mandatory challenger? Yeah, definitely. I think so. I, I didn't give Real um, Brin the, the, a chance, really. I thought Canelo would, would, would win comfortably, and, and he did. He was a different level. I mean... All, all credit to the, the the robot as they call him. He, he's a brave, brave fighter. But you looked him on the on the under on the the build up, you know, to to the fight, and he wasn't going to be in in Canelo's league. His his record, he's not really fought anybody of any note. And when you think about Canelo now going forward fighting Billy Joe Saunders in May, you know, May three three months or so's time. It really, yeah. You look at that and you think he must have been a, a tool sharpener for him. Really, I don't think he's used much resources. In that fight, and I think he'll be ready for for Billy Joe in May. It seems like years we've been building to up this one, Paul. In fact, I think when I started the Sports Zone about three years ago, we were talking about this one. It's it's been years in the making. Billy Joe Saunders and Canelo Alvarez have been on a track to fight each other for a very long time. It's finally happening. Is it going to live up to people's expectations? I think it depends on how Billy Joe Saunders approaches it. I think what what you get with with Canelo is you get full blooded entertainment from him every single time he, he steps into the ring. I think he fights like it's his last ever fight, uh, and I think that's why you look at his record and you look at what what an amazing fighter he's been because that's that's the sort of commitment and desire that he brings to the ring. I think with Billy Joe Saunders, you've got a fighter who's incredibly talented, you know, one of the best in this country for for me. But it's, if it, if it, if he's got his head on. Half the time, is he hungry for it? Is he ready for it? Is he is he going to get up for it? He's he's a strange character sometimes. I think if you get the best Billy Joe Saunders mentally in the right place, you've got a fantastic fight on there. And and two blokes that I'd struggle to to pick a winner from that. But my only doubt is how does Billy Joe Saunders approach it? I hope he approaches it and takes it you know seriously because he needs to because Alvarez is a fantastic fighter. But we've seen before with Billy Joe, he sometimes comes in flat. Uh, I think his last fight I saw him he, he didn't look right to me really but you know it's, it's been difficult for boxers hasn't it over the last sort of 12 months being inactive and out of the gym in and out of the gym and you know not not fighting because of the, the virus and things like that so yeah I, I'd like to say that this is going to be an excellent fight Well we all hope so Paul and we hope that Billy Joe Saunders has a chance, especially with you know how Canelo cards have been over the years, in fact, with the likes of Golovkin. But a few years ago, when he fought David Lemieux and looked absolutely exceptional, I think everybody was giving Billy Joe Saunders a real chance against anybody in the world. But it's been over three years since then. Can Billy Joe Saunders recapture that form going into this one? I think so. I think he can. It's just as I said before. His mental state sometimes, he can look lazy in the fight. I think the fight against Martin Murray, all credit to, to Martin Murray, a fantastic fighter, one of my favourites as well. He was at the end of his career and it was always going to be tough against Billy Joe, but I didn't think he impressed me that night. He sort of took his foot off the pedal and, which he, as I said before, it must be difficult at the moment. I mean, Josh Kelly found that out a few weeks ago, didn't he? Um, last week, I think it was, without the crowd being there. That must play on boxers' minds. It's a totally different atmosphere, and I, I think perhaps we we saw that with um, with the Martin Murray and Billy Joe Saunders fight. So hopefully there's a bit, there'll be a crowd there in May. I'm not too sure whether whether there will be or not. Um, if there is, that could that could make the difference. But you know, Billy Joe Saunders is an excellent fighter. Really is, really is a fantastic fighter, and you just want to see the best of him now because if not, you know, how long has he got left in the sport? these could be the peak days for him now and you're not going to get opportunities like this willy-nilly so he needs to take it Now I want to talk a bit about the app Triller, the same app that hosted the Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. fight 
They're set to host the Jake Paul versus Ben Askren fight. And they've now won the purse bid for Tiafimo Lopez versus George Cambosis, bidding $6 million over double that of Eddie Hearn and Bob Arum in top rank. Chink Chiller could be massive players in the boxing game. I mean, with this money that they've been in and the fights they're putting on. Yeah, I think so. If, if they've got that sort of money, it's, it's money talk sometimes, doesn't it, in sport? And if you're throwing that sort of money around and just the whole thing with, with sort of, um, boxing on YouTube and internet and things like that, it's that's the way technology's going these days, isn't it? So uh, so I think you've got that money now. You, you can be a big player and be right up there. And I think they're showing that, the way they're flexing the muscles at the moment. So uh, I think we have to watch this space on that one. But I can see them getting bigger and bigger. And they're putting on a great undercard so far to this Jake Paul Ben Askren fight. They've got Regis Progray, who's back in action, and former world champion Antonio Tarver is taking on former UFC heavyweight world champion Frank Mir. Tarver's now in his 50s, so my question to you is, Paul, can somebody in the 50s, a former boxing champion, still fend somebody off in the 40s, despite the fact that he's coming from a different combat sport, or is he clearly going to be the favourite? Um, I'd probably say the younger man's going to be the favourite, but... Doesn't always doesn't always go that does it? I mean, if he's kept himself fit and he's he's in shape, and if you're in your fifties, you're not gonna your reactions aren't gonna be as as quick as somebody you know over over ten years or so younger than you are. So reactions, I think, are the first things to go. Speed is the first thing to go. Well, you're always gonna have that quality, aren't you? And you're always gonna have that that, that punching power. You don't tend to lose that, but I think you, you tend to lose your speed and, and your awareness and things like that. And that can be a big thing in boxing sometimes. So. I don't. I don't know which who I'd back there, the younger man or, or the old stage. I, I, I like him to back an outsider sometimes, so I'm going to back the older man. Now a few stories to close us out, Paul. First things first. There's a rumored fight in the works between Chris Eubank Jr. and Kell Brook. Is this one you'd be interested in? Definitely, definitely. I'm very impressed with with Chris Eubank Jr. Very explosive fight and a very exciting fight. The one that I like, you know, he's. He's got power and he's got speed as well, and he's fantastic to watch. Got fantastic hand speed. I mean, a lot, a lot of um, people tend to criticise Amir Khan sometimes, and he's a fighter I like to watch just because of the speed and the skill of him. And you know, I compare Chris Eubank Jr. to him with that speed. And, and Kel Brook, we know, has been a fantastic champion. His career sort of stalled a bit, hasn't it, over the last couple of years? And we, we've seen him come into fights and not look quite right and look rusty and things like that so he's probably fighting at last chance saloon really it's probably one of his last big fights so uh, so yeah I'd like to see that we always love to see these these British fights don't we and you know British guys go off against each other so that that'd be one that really would capture my imagination I'd like to see that Ryan Garcia a few months ago was rumoured to be fighting Javonta Tank Davis it fell through and then we spoke more recently about a fight between him and Manny Pacquiao. It's now been revealed that that has fallen through as well. Are you disappointed about this? Was this a fight you were looking forward to, Paul? And who does Ryan Garcia look at now? Because, you know, the Javante Davis fight and the Manny Pacquiao fight seem to not be happening. Mm, it's a shame, really, because Garcia has been looked excellent to me, you know. <laughs> it would have been nice to see the Manny Pacquiao fight. I'm not too sure where he goes from there. Now there's got to be something out there for him, hasn't he? You know, a man of his talent. So uh, you think people would be sort of falling over to, to sign him up for it? It makes you wonder why those fights have fallen through. I'm not too sure. It's, it can be strange sometimes boxing and how, how things go. But you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But I'm sure it won't be long before he's, he's signed up for something big, especially over in America, where uh, where, they, where they, they love him. And uh, I'm sure he'll get a big a big night over there. We can all recall in December of last year when Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz went to battle again in the rematch and Andy Ruiz turned up in horrendous shape. 
But it now seems under the guide of Eddie Reynoso, Canelo Alvarez's trainer, that Ruiz looks in peak condition. And what damage can he do to this heavyweight division when he is in fantastic shape? Well, we saw it against Anthony Joshua. You know, his style is very, very difficult to, to, to combat. You know, you look at the likes of Joshua and Tyson Fury. The, the tall men, they like to fight you at range, really, don't they? And speaking to, to one of my pals yesterday, who I trained with, we were talking about Tyson Fury and how would you, you approach him and things like that. I think Andy Ruiz Jr. would be the kind of guy to to get on, you know, a, a Tyson Fury's sort of chest, Anthony Joshua's chest, get in front of him, would be very difficult to, to sort of get your, your full extension and your full power too. So he could be um, an absolute nightmare for some of these top heavyweights. And well, he was, wasn't he, for Joshua? So if he can get himself in the right condition, he can cause an awful lot of damage. He can bang as well. He's got an awful lot of power. And, and that, that hook from him is a, is a knockout punch, isn't it? So, yeah, I, I'd like to see it. I think that's great. I think that's great he's back in contention because the more people we've got at the top table, you know, competing with each other, I think I think it's a great division. Heavyweight division is a great division and uh, we want to see these fights, we want to see them made. So there's some, some real players there now and Andy Ruiz can be definitely one of them. And the last question of the day for you, Paul, the Jamal Herring Carl Frampton fight, which was scheduled for Saturday just gone, has been moved to United Abba of Emirates in Dubai on April the 3rd. Bit of a strange one, this really. No official announcement from Queensbury or top rank yet. It seems that a different promotion outlet in Dubai is hosting this one. Very strange stuff, but you're still excited to see this fight. Yeah, certainly. You know, Carl Frampton, excellent fighter every time we've seen him fight. And he's another guy that's, uh, you know, clocking on a bit now, isn't he? And, uh, you know, how long is he going to carry on for? But... It's a strange one, the way it's been moved. We're still looking forward to it. I think April, that time's around Easter time, isn't it? So that'll be a, be a nice fight to watch, and I'm sure it'll be a very, very entertaining one. Thank you, Paul. That's all the boxing. Now throw it to Rob for the next UFC. Yep, UFC 259 takes place on Saturday night, and there's a matchup between the king of the lightweights and the king of the middleweights in the champion versus champion matchup. How excited are you about this one, James? Yeah, Lambohovic's the light heavyweight champion, Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion. It's a great, great matchup, Rob. And we all get so excited when champions from different divisions fight each other. The very best in the world taking each other on. And it's set to be a very interesting fight. Jan Blachowicz hits like an absolute train. Knocks out anybody who's on the end of that left hook. Israel Adesanya, the style bender. Probably the slightly more technically proficient fighter. An ex-kickboxing world champion. A fantastic striker. And it's essentially a battle between Jan Blachowicz's power and Israel Adesanya's technical ability. Will Adesanya box up Blachowicz, maybe win a points decision, maybe stopping late? Or will he get taken out by one big swing from the massive Polish power puncher? Can you give us a little breakdown of it, James? It's as simple as that, Rob. I mean, Blachowicz hits extremely hard. He's not the best striker from a technical perspective. He relies on one-punch knockout power. And that won in the world heavy, uh, light heavyweight title. That beat the likes of Luke Rockhold and Jimmy Manor and other good fighters. Israel Adesanya was a kickboxing world champion. He's seen the sport as the most technically gifted striker potentially ever. He's absolutely fantastic, Rob. And it's essentially a case of can he use that technical ability to avoid one big swing from Jan Blachowicz. It's a bit, I suppose, to put it into boxing terms, a bit Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder-esque. However... Blahovitz isn't quite as wild as Wilder. He's technically good himself. It's just not he's not quite on the technical level of an Israel Adesanya. But make no bones about it. He'll be looking for that shot all night long. And if Israel Adesanya isn't extremely careful, Blahovitz can catch him. Is the middleweight champion too small to compete with a champion of weight 
a category above him? It's difficult to say, Rob, because Israel Adesanya isn't the biggest middleweight. He doesn't have to cut much weight to make there, so he may well have to eat himself up to light heavyweight. So he's definitely not natural at that weight. Jan Blachowicz on the night will have a huge weight advantage. After they've both weighed in, I can't imagine Adesanya is going to rehydrate much, whereas Jan Blachowicz will. He might have a 10, 20-pound advantage in there. So it's most definitely going to be the case Blachowicz will have a huge weight advantage on the night. The middleweight champion's last opponent claims the reason he lost because he was hung over. Uh, any truth in that? Uh, mental, Rob. I mean, Paolo Costa, who Israel Adesanya defeated in his last fight, claimed the reason he lost was because he was hungover from a bottle of white wine he drank the night before. But, I mean, Costa's been making exclusive left, right and centre. And I think that's just because Adesanya's in his head and Adesanya betted him on the night. I think he's looking to make excuses. And I think Adesanya probably beats him 10 times out of 10. And I don't forget ever makes look good. I mean, me and Paul talk all the time in boxing. It's never good to make excuses. You should take your loss like a man, really. What would winning a belt in a second weight category mean to him? It would mean the world. I mean, I think there's only four fighters that have won belts in two weight categories. I mean, you've got Henry Cejudo, you've got Daniel Cormier, and then you've got Amanda Nunes uh, and Conor McGregor. So four fighters there. He's managed to complete that feat. And it seems to be the trendy thing to do now. Fighters in the UFC want to move up and down the weight classes, collect as many belts as possible. And it's potentially an even bigger achievement to do that in the UFC than it is in boxing. Because in boxing... The weight categories are, you know, four, five pounds apart. Whereas in boxing, the difference between a middleweight and a light heavyweight is 15 pounds. So it really is a big difference. I mean, Adesanya is going in there with somebody who's far bigger than him. So if he can win that, then it's a massive accomplishment for him. Who wins it, James? Blahovic is fantastic and I'd like him to win. He's got a hell of a lot of power. But I'm going to lean towards Israel Adesanya. I think he'll be too technically proficient and I think he'll be landing at will and potentially stop Blachowicz light or win on points. The greatest fight in women's history is back on the the, the fighting uh, road again. Tell us all about that. She is. She's back at it. She's just had a baby, actually, with her, with her partner, Nina Ansarov. They're both uh, fighters within the, uh, within the women's division, but they've had the first year out, so congratulations to them. And Nunes is looking to continue the legacy as the greatest women's fighter of all time. She's got that for me by a country distance. It's a case now of just scraping the barrel for opponents for her. And I don't want to be disrespectful to Megan Anderson, but I think Amanda Nunes is levels and levels. Is Megan Anderson any competition for her? No, not really, to be honest. I mean, Megan Anderson, what she can offer is she's got a big height and reach advantage on Nunes. So maybe she can box her on the back foot, look to pick up, pick up harder on points maybe. But aside from that, I mean, she hasn't got the power, I don't think, to trouble Nunes. But you never know. You've got to get old at some point. Uh, Amanda Nunes has been around for a very, very long time. So maybe, just maybe, Megan Anderson can uh, pull the upset off. But I don't see it, to be honest. The men's bantamweight title is also on the line on the card. Uh, can can you tell us about that? Yeah, Russia's Petr Yan is taking on America's Al Jermaine Sterling in what's set to be a fantastic fight. This one's been ruined for a very long time. Sterling has been the biggest threat to Jan, I think, for a long while. I don't see anybody else in the division particularly causing the Russian champion problems. But Sterling's looked great as of late. He's been on a very long winning streak. He's got fantastic jiu-jitsu. He won by an amazing submission in his last fight. And I truly believe he's got a chance at the upset here. I really do, Rob. I think Sterling's got a real good chance in this one. Final UFC question, James. Which of these three fights are you looking forward to the most? I mean, the main event with Israel Adesanya and Jan Blachowicz is fantastic. We all love to see two champions taking each other on. 
It's always a privilege to see the greatest women's fight in Amanda Nunes back in action. But the bantamweights have intrigued me the most, Rob. I think this battle between Petty Yan and Aljamain Sterling is going to be the best fight of the night. Yeah, it's going to be super exciting. We'll looking forward to telling us all about it on the Sports Zone next week. Let's talk uh, football now, James, and we'll start uh, with our local uh, side, Salford City FC. Uh, mixed week for them, drawing nil-nil against Southend, and then obviously getting beat midweek against Morecambe, two-one. Uh, mixed results, then. Yeah, I'm not particularly happy, Rob. I mean, Salford. I mean, it wasn't so long back they were in the playoff positions, and now they've dropped into ninth. Not good at all. I mean, Morecambe getting the better of them 2-1. Morecambe, obviously, a very good side. Fifth in the table themselves. But Southend are near the bottom, 22nd. You expect Salford to get a win there. I knew they were travelling away from home, but it's not really an excuse for me. The, the fan advantage isn't there. And you'd have liked Salford to pick up three points here to try and maintain a position in the playoffs. I think, I think it's really a case of two points dropped here, Rob. I mean... They've got another opportunity against Port Vale coming up. Port Vale are 20th in the table and then Scunthorpe are 19th. They're the two matches this week. And Rob, for me, it has to be six points or nothing. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, it's going to be a big uh, two two uh, games, James. And Paul, they've only scored um, more than one goal on two occasions in the, last, in the last 11 games. Do you see that as a big problem? Well, yeah. If you're not winning matches, Rob, it, it will be, won't it? Um yeah, I think so. I mean, it's been a bit of an up and down season. I think a couple of weeks ago, we we, we were sort of saying, oh, Salford were right up there in fourth position, wasn't they? And that, that league is quite an open one, really. I think you, if you string a few wins together, you're right back up there with a chance of automatic promotion, aren't they? But yeah, I think goal scoring will be a problem, won't it? And uh, they, need to, they need to sort that out if they're going to have any success this season, I think. Yeah, they're creating chances, James, but it's the, it's the important part of putting it away. And, and obviously... They're not been able to in the last couple of weeks, and that's why they've they've dropped down a little bit. Yeah, most definitely, Rob. I mean, you need to be taking advantage of your opportunities. And against teams that are in the relegation zone, you're going to get those opportunities. So, Salford should be disappointed with themselves, but they've got to get back on the horse. Port Vale, Scumfoot, very winnable games. And they've got to get that confidence up. They've got to start taking advantage of their opportunities. And they've got to score goals against teams like these. Yeah, let's talk about Man United and Man City now. They both face each other uh, next uh, on Sunday. Uh, it's a derby day. It's going to be super exciting, uh, James. Most definitely. It's not only a derby day within local affairs, it's also a derby day within the sports zone with us who are lied to Manchester United and Paul allied to Manchester City. It's set to be an extremely good game. And I'll pass over to Paul because City are well and truly ahead of the Premier League at the moment. If they win this game, is the league done and dusted? Oh, I, th- I think so. I mean, Manchester City sports will probably say, say never, say never. You know, with, um, they always say typical City, don't they? And they can throw all sorts of leads away. But thirteen point clear, I think they are after this this weekend's games. You know, with the uh, with the win over West Ham, um, United got a point today, so it'll be twelve points clear now, I suppose, won't it? But twenty games unbeaten, uh, twenty win wins on the spin. Now. It's um, they're a machine. I think I've called them a few times this season, and a well-oiled one at that. Um, I thought the the result at the weekend against West Ham probably not the best performance, but they're, they're grinding out results, aren't they? And um, you just seem to keep going. I mean, if anyone can end that run, I think it's Manchester United probably, isn't it? Most Man City supporters will probably say that. But I think it's going to be a tough task for United next weekend. But let's hope it's a great game because sometimes these games get built up and we look forward to they end up being a nil-nil. So um, I just hope it's a really exciting prospect next week and a really entertaining game. 
it's the 500th career win for Pep Guardiola, Paul, and it, it shows how good he is as a coach uh, that, that he's able to reach that landmark. Certainly, yeah. I mean, as we said there, the 20 games on the spin this season, he's, he's sort of transformed Manchester City, hasn't he, back into to a winning machine again. They have been over the, the recent season under different managers, but yeah, he did a fantastic job, didn't he, in his, in his other posts at Barcelona and and the like. So uh, we, we know he's a quality coach. And how long is he going to stay at Manchester City for? I'm not too sure, but I'm pretty sure they like to get him tied down on a, on a decent contract because uh, I think the big one now they're after is the, the, the Champions League, isn't it? If they, they can win that, that really would be the icing on the cake. But they look set to to take the, the title this season, I'd say. But still fighting on all four fronts as well. They've got a League Cup final coming up. They're still in the FA Cup as well. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the season pans out. James, is is the pressure on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in this one? Because obviously the chasing pack, 12 points behind, win or bust it'll be, but it's going to be a tough gig. Man City away from home. United don't really go to uh, the Etihad and get too many uh, victories, do they? They don't, Rob, but... I don't know, I seem to believe this weekend. Why don't we? I mean, Manchester United are... They've been playing extremely well for me this season. And I don't think they're going to win the league. I still think there's a rebuilding job going on. But I feel like there's a bit of magic in the air coming up to this weekend. I don't know if you do, Rob. I see Manchester United potentially getting a result here. I think they're going to come in extremely motivated. I mean, they're doing well in Europe at the moment. I mean, they've just drawn nil-nil at Chelsea. Stamford Bridge, obviously, a tough place to go. And I feel like they can get something out of the air. They might not necessarily win, but it wouldn't shock me if they get a draw at all. You say United are in the on a sort of rebuilding job. How far down the line do you think we are in in this rebuilding job? For me, I don't I don't think we're that that far down the line. There's still players in that in that team who who aren't sort of you know super super players, and it, it kind of worries me that we've got a bit too much to go. City are miles streaks away from us, and it will take a, a big big effort to catch them. Most definitely, and we won't this season, I don't think. But if you're talking about the rebuilding phase, I think it's coming quicker than we expected it to do, Rob. I mean, if you're a player, there's two things you want out of the football club you want to sign for, and you want that history. You want to sign for, you know, the Real Madrid's and the Bayern Munich's of this world, and Manchester United comes to that equation. But you also need the team to be doing well because you want to win silverware and you want to add to your legacy. The more Manchester United improve, and if they're like second in the league rather than fourth or fifth, people are going to want to sign for them because they've got a chance of winning, you know, the Champions League or the Premier League. So I feel like this season at the end of the trans- uh, at the start of the transfer window, when it opens, I see Manchester United making some big signings because people are going to want to sign for Manchester United again, which is only going to help with this rebuilding phase. And the players in this team, which you don't deem to be superstars, they're going to slowly, slowly leave and better players are going to come in. I think that's what it is. I think it's, it's about evolving and yeah, we 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 are on a journey, James. But I suppose I look back to the '99 team and the all-conquering sort of team since. And you look at this team, and it, it's very, it's very, it's not got the sparkle. It's not got the the, the moments where you think, oh, we're going to win something. And I just see us being a bit far away. Yeah, we're on a, we're on the journey, but unfortunately, teams like City and Liverpool continue to progress. So it's you have to go double the double the distance to catch them. They do, and I just want to talk about Liverpool briefly because in sixth place at the moment, I mean, West Ham are above them. I mean, Rob, do you see them in the Champions League? Where are they at the moment in terms of a side? Because they've had two good seasons, really. 
with last season, the season before. But other than that, it's not like Liverpool were performing greatly. So do you see them as being a bit of a flash in the pan with where they stand at the moment? I think what it is, with, with Liverpool, winning the title became the, the biggest thing. And they managed to do that last season with, through all the, the COVID and, and you know, thing different situation we all found ourselves in. And it's hard to, to find that, that second, that next level again. And Liverpool is really struggling for me. Yeah, they've had injuries, you know, and it's important that Klopp gets them then team going again. Will they be able to do it? Who knows? We, we don't know what the situation is. We'll have to wait and see, Paul. Obviously, like with kind of a minute to go on this show, do, do you think that, that Liverpool would, would be able to, to, to find the form of last season and compete with the likes of City and United next year in the Premier League? I don't know, it's a big question, but I think you've just answered some of that yourself. You talk about Manchester United being a million miles behind Manchester City, but how long a season's a long time in football. Liverpool were all conquering last season. This season they absolutely fell to pieces. So it, it can things can change very fast in sport and, and very fast in football. I think your main thing with Manchester United is that nineteen ninety nine team had Sir Alex Ferguson managing them. And I don't think they've ever they've ever replaced that that sort of that sort of figurehead, um, and, and will you ever replace somebody like that? But, uh, but no, I think uh, a season's a long time in football. I think Manchester United can can hit back at any time. Thirty seconds to go, James. Score Sunday. Scott between Manchester United and Manchester City. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to back the underdogs. Two one Manchester United. Two one Manchester United. Fifteen seconds, Paul. For score prediction. I was going to say two two, but I think with me being the City man, I'll have to say three nil to City. So we'll have to wait and see what happens on the uh, on the game. We'll talk all about it on the Sports Zone on Solve City Radio next week. Big thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat on Salford City Radio.